you will. We're going to the book of Genesis this morning. And uh, yeah, Tim, if you could bring the house lights up a little bit. You know me, I like to see the whites of the eyes of Melanie Anderson this morning, right there, right there in the corner. And uh, I picked on Bill last week, and so he hid. Uh, he's behind the head of Shara Hosterman, so I, yeah. yeah. It's great to be able to see you this morning and to worship with you this morning. We have been on a trek. Uh, learning from the life lessons of Joseph, and so we're going to continue on with his story, quite a large story in the book of Genesis, one of the longest detailed accounts of a person's life in the scripture, and Joseph's life is one that is, is just chocked full of lessons and, and uh, events and things that really tell us a lot uh, about things that happen in our lives and how we can approach them and how we can learn from them, and and so we're going to be in uh, Genesis chapter 39 this morning. So if you're turning there, go to chapter 39. And um, as we've been talking about the detours of life and the things that seem to be taking us away from the dreams that God has given us, we realize and have been realizing that, first of all, God is the source of dreams, we see that in the life of Joseph, but we also know that in our lives today, that oftentimes as we're seeking after the Lord and we're giving him our lives and we're surrendering our lives to him and we're asking him, God, what do you have for me? What do you have for my family? What do you have for my, my spouse and I? We're, and when you pray for that, God plants within you uh, a dream. He can plant within you a stirring, a direction, a call. And as he plants that in you and opens that up to you, he begins to take you on a journey toward that dream or toward that calling. And that's the easy part of, of this life and of this journey with the Lord. The difficult thing is when it, detours are entered into that scene. And as we're moving on in the direction that the Lord has for us, oftentimes a detour will come. We see that in the life of Joseph. Joseph experienced, and we'll see another one here today, many different detours, which seem to take him away from the dream, away from God's destination for him. Uh, after all, a dark pit would be a detour to, to the dream and to the fruition of that dream. And this morning we're going to see a prison cell as being what would seem to be a detour away from what God had. But what we've been learning in the last few weeks is that not only is God on the pathway to the dream, but God is in the detour. God is in the detour. And I want to encourage you with that today because oftentimes we think that when the detour comes by our own choosing, or we're going to see in Joseph's life today, uh, outside of his own choosing, we think, oh, now we're away from and going in a different direction from what God has for us, and we need to get back on the path. When really God says the detour is not only something that I know about, but it's something I'm involved in, and I am there. I am in the detour. I am on the detour with you. I'm so glad, and maybe you are too, that God's a God of the detours. Because I don't know how many of us in this room have been on the path, and we've stayed on the path, and we end our life on the path, minus any detours. Detours is, are a part of our living, 
And so God, my friend, is in the detour, and you might be on one today. You might have been on one for days, weeks, months, maybe years, and think this detour has taken me in such a different direction in my life. Will I ever get back to the path? Will I ever see the fruition of the dream? Let me just encourage you today, rather than being dream-focused, realize that the presence of the Lord and his hand is upon you on the detour. On the detour. Amen. We're going to continue to talk about Joseph's life. Last week, we left Joseph running. We left him running. Running from the palace. Running from Potiphar's wife. Running to get out of a situation that could have really derailed him. He was running as a good shepherd, or a good steward, rather. Joseph uh, was attending to all that Potiphar had. He was the steward of the entire uh, region, the entire uh, realm that Potiphar was in charge of, and, and Joseph handled it all. He attended to it all. And so because he was a good steward of Potiphar's household, he ran in that moment. We talked about that last week. Not only is he running as a good steward, he was running for his own purity. We talked about that last week, how he had to leave the premises because the advancement of temptation was so great that the only thing that he could do at this point, he couldn't talk himself out of it, he couldn't push back any longer, he just had to leave. We talked about, about it last week, that there are times and circumstances in our life when the temptation to disobey God, the, diso- the temptation to become impure is so great that the best thing that you can do is just leave. Just leave and run, as Joseph did. And then also we saw that Joseph was running for his God. In verse 9 of uh, chapter 39, uh, we see that he said these words, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph saw the temptation as something that would be against God, a wickedness, an evil against God. More than his own purity, more than the purity of Potiphar's wife, but a wickedness against God, and he would not commit such a wickedness. And so he ran. So as Joseph is running, let's go to verse 13 of chapter 39. And as Joseph is running... There's a trap that is set for him. And I'm going to take some time and read verses 13 all the way through 20, if you'll follow along with me. When she, Potiphar's wife, saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been, has been brought to make, us, make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. The trap is set. The lying wife of Potiphar 
prevails. Joseph is framed. He's the victim. And he's imprisoned. Or is he the victim? I think we see here a picture of God's mercy. And in this way, I think we see it here. The Egyptian penalty for thousands and thousands of years in their history for attempted rape is death. So he may not have been put in prison. His life could have been taken from him according to the law. Could it be that Potiphar didn't believe his wife? Did he know the character of Joseph and also the character of his wife? Now, husbands, I want you to give me just a nod. Do you know the character of your wife? Just give, oh, we got an amen. <laughs> a, a nod would have done just, just fine. Do you know the character of your wife? I think Potiphar did as well. And not only the character of his wife, he knew the character he'd been watching Joseph. Would not Potiphar have given charge of his entire realm to a man that he did not trust? Did he did not know his character? I think, I think not. I think Potiphar was very aware of the character of Joseph and very aware of the character, or maybe I should say that she was a character, of his wife. Thus, Joseph is not killed He's not, his life is not taken, he's rather imprisoned and even affirmed because we see, we won't take time to read, but we see verses that talk about in verse 22 that Joseph is the keeper of the prison and he's put in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison by whose charge? By Potiphar's charge. Do you do that with a man that's not to be trusted? So I think Potiphar understood who he was married to, and he understood who, who, he was, who was serving him. And so instead of death, Joseph is placed in this prison as a prisoner. He's the victim of a lie. He's receiving unjust and unfair punishment. He's a prisoner there. And for what? He's a prisoner for doing what's right, for honoring his master, and most of all, for honoring God. It doesn't seem fair, does it? This is a detour not of Joseph's own making. Have you ever had a detour in your life that you had nothing to do with? You didn't arrange it. You didn't make a choice. You didn't do something wrong. You didn't error. You didn't sin. But somehow life just happened, and now you're on a detour that you never chose you never did anything to incur but now you are there joseph was experiencing this detour in his life he had nothing to do with it it wasn't of his own making in fact he got there by doing what was right jesus even talked about that when the sermon on the mount where he says blessed are those when men revile you and persecute you for me for my name so persecution and trouble and heartache and unfair punishment can happen to the believer because we're doing what's right. And I just want to encourage you in this day and time that we're living in, keep doing what's right. Keep living right. Keep obeying the word. Keep standing on the word. Keep doing what is right. And so Joseph is here. He's a prisoner 
And Jesus gave us these words about what we experience in life. In the book of John, he says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have problems. Things are going to happen. Don't be surprised that things come your way that create trouble and create hardship. It happens for the just, the scripture says, and it happens for the unjust. In fact, if you remember the story Jesus tells about the the man who's building the house, he's building, one man's building a house on sand and one man's building a house on the rock. You remember that story in Matthew chapter 7? And Jesus is trying to communicate some truth there about where you lay your foundation and upon what you lay your foundation. But if you remember that little, that little story, he's really also trying to say that it rains on everybody. The storms come to everybody. That old American Christian thinking of, as long as I love the Lord and I live for him and I do the things that he asks me to do, life will be a breeze. How many of you, that's been your experience? Just checking. Okay, great. We're in good company. You know, life is not a breeze. So let's just discard that, that idea, that misnomer that, you know, if I, if I come God's way and I receive salvation, then he's just going to plow a clear and easy path for me. Oh, no, my friend, the rain will fall on your path just like it will fall on the path of the unjust. In fact, that little song, I know we have the children with us this morning, and the little song kind of goes like this. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Do you know it? Sing it with me. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came And what happened? The rains came down and... Oh, you're good. Keep going. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the sand went... Yeah, or or whatever you want to do there. Okay? Verse 2. The wise man built his house upon the rock the wise man built his one more time the wise man and the rains they did and the rains and oh you got the motions going too down and the and the and the house on the rock stood perfect you guys are great I hope they sing that well for you, AJ, when they're worshiping. The point, everybody has rain. How you build and upon what you build is going to be what sustains you or doesn't sustain you. There's indicators in the life of Joseph that he was building his life on the rock. The beautiful thing about Joseph is he has no Ten Commandments. He has no Mosaic Law. He has no Bible to look at. He has no scripture to go to. This, is, this account is the book of Genesis. What book in the Bible precedes Genesis? We don't have one. But Joseph, through his experiences, were, was coming to know Jehovah God and was continually committing himself to God. And that commitment created a rock. 
And so when the pressures came and when the imprisonment came, Joseph was able to stand on this rock. Joseph did not allow the injustice of his situation to stop the work of God in his life. Big lesson. Injustice, trouble, things that come our way that we never did anything to earn can create in us an attitude. It can create in us, even worse, a bitterness, a grudge, a hardness. Life's not fair. I was doing this, and this happened to me, and I can't believe it. And my heart gets hard and hard and hard and hard. Right? Yeah. But Joseph, because of his love for God, his trust in God, and his life remaining on this rock that he was coming to learn about, he was able to release that temptation to hold a grudge, to be bitter. You don't see the bitterness in the heart of Joseph toward his brothers, toward Potiphar, toward Potiphar's wife, toward the injustice, toward the pit, toward the prison cell. He's free of all of that. It's a wonderful lesson for us to not allow the injustice of a situation to stop the work of God in your life. Joseph was on a detour to Pharaoh's prison. And on this detour, God was using this to develop Joseph's character through perseverance. We're going to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. Perseverance. What is perseverance? Perseverance is a test that is longer lasting, often years. Sorry to give you such good news this morning. But perseverance is something God develops in us, and it's not a day, a week, a month, probably not a year, but something that he works long term in us. Joseph's window of perseverance was 13 years. Okay? Every detour or every test that God brings about in your life is for character. Is for character. You see, God is more interested today in your character than he is in your destination. He's more interested in what he's doing in you than where he's taking you. We get so preoccupied with, God, where are you taking me? Where's the destination? Where's the final place? Where's my life leading Where are you going to put me? Where are you going to place me? We're so consumed with that. And the Lord said, you know, that's second on my list. The first thing that's on my list is what I'm doing in you. I'm developing character in you. Because in God's way of thinking, character precedes destination. If he's taking you somewhere, he wants to develop the character in you so that your character matches your destination. And he was doing that with Joseph. This is what God had in mind. Now, I want us to go over to the book of Romans because I want to open up this idea of perseverance to you a little bit further. I want to go over to Romans chapter 5, and I want to walk you through a stair step. And when you think, you know, what is God doing in my life? This is a good indicator right here. Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at three verses here. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. 
Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Do you see the progression there? The thing that kicks off the progression in your life to character, to hope, is perseverance by way of suffering. Perseverance by way of trial or tribulation or test. Life is filled with them. Notice Paul encourages an attitude in the middle of the suffering or the tribulation. He talks about this idea of glory. Some of your versions might say glory. Some of your versions might say rejoice. Now, Paul certainly should understand that there shouldn't be much rejoicing that's natural in suffering. I don't know how many of you think it's just a a party to go through suffering. It's just uh, exciting and you look for it and anticipate it. No. But yet Paul is saying that there's a glory, there's a rejoicing, there's something about this suffering or this tribulation that should have a glory associated with it. Now, glory typically in the scripture is a word that talks about outshining or giving attention to God for what he's famous for. When we glorify God, we give attention to him for the things that he's famous for, salvation and grace and love and mercy, and we could fill the room with characteristics of God. And when we do that, we glorify him. That's the most common understanding of glory, but Paul's not using that word here. He's talking about something else. He really is saying rejoice. He's really even saying in the Greek, wish for or desire. Now that's going a little far. That we would wish for or that we would desire a time of tribulation or testing. Most of us run the other way. Here comes a test. Goodbye. You know, I don't know how many of you students opt for the test. I used to take the paper instead of the test. Got an option? Write the paper, take the test. I always wrote the paper. There was another option besides the test, I would always take it. Maybe you're like that. A lot of us are like that in life. Here comes the test. Do I have an option? I'll take the option. I don't want the test. But what Paul is saying here is there's a, there's a wishing for, there's a desiring that can come when you realize and understand that God has something wonderful for you through a test. Think back for a little bit in your own life. Think about a time where you went through something really tough, a test, a time of suffering, a time of tribulation, something that really was a hard place for you. Now that you can look back on it, do you see merit? Do you see value? Do you see that God did something in your life that it may not have happened any other way? Character that he produced in your life. Things that he showed you about himself. His glory was seen in your life in a way that you never got to see it before because you were going through something tough. And so, because that's the truth, because in our experience we know it, because in scripture we know it, we can say a time of tribulation has benefit. God can do something deep in us because deep tribulation produces deep character. Tribulation, here Paul says, works in us perseverance. 
This is long and enduring. As I mentioned, Joseph endured it for 13 years. David anointed, uh, David uh, went through a time of persecution and difficulty with Saul, 13 years. Abraham, 25 years. Moses, 40 years. Jesus was perfect at it, 40 days. Sometimes wilderness is something, the, di- the length of it is determined by uh, how you treat it. And we know that the children of Israel stayed there a long time because they complained and murmured a lot. But perseverance, according to Paul here, produces something. There's a reason for it. It's not empty. It's not meaningless. It's not a waste of time. It's not a waste of suffering and disappointment. Perseverance has a result. In verse 4, he says, perseverance produces, or what comes from perseverance is character. Character is developed before your destination is revealed. Promotion before character is detrimental. It's detrimental. We want to rush through the perseverance period to get to the character place, to get to the destination place. Get me through the hard stuff so that I can get to the destination. Or maybe I can opt out. Somebody can sign me out from the perseverance time so that I can get to the destination time. It's not good to be delivered from the trial when the Lord's working in the trial. A lot of times it's hard as parents to see your child go through something that's hard. We want to kind of sign the paper and give it to the teacher. We want to let them drop the class. We, we, we want to we get them away from that difficult thing. We want to come to their rescue. We want, the, we want, as the helicopter parent, you know what those are, don't you? Okay, yeah, kids know what they are. The helicopter parent, the parent that just hovers over every child and fixes everything for them the one that goes to the principal's office with the child. You know, the the one that's there to rescue and help because we don't want our children to go through anything hard. You are keeping them from character. You're keeping them from their very own character being developed and becoming strong and becoming pure and becoming right. Suffering, difficulty produces character. Produces character. Character, my friend, is learned. You can't get character by having somebody lay hands on you and pray for you. Or we would all just have character. It would just be so easy. Character doesn't come that way. It only comes through perseverance. In fact, Jesus in Hebrews 5.8, the writer there talks about even Jesus, perfect Jesus, had to endure suffering to become a man of character. Hebrews 5.8 says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience. How? Through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience. How did he get to the Garden of Gethsemane and say, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. How did he get to that place? And how did he see that place through? How did he get to the right destination for us on the cross. How did he get there? It wasn't a piece of cake for Jesus. Jesus received his character through the things that he persevered through in his suffering. In deep trials, deep character flaws come to the surface. It's happened to me. I don't know about you, but when you go through something deep and difficult, the deep character flaws and things that you have within you rise to the surface. 
Let's think about the Joseph story for a minute, because in the prison he meets two guys, if you remember. He meets the cupbearer. And the cupbearer was the one who not only prepared and served the wine for the king, he was the one who tested it to make sure there wasn't anything funky in it, anything poisonous in it, so that the king's life would always be protected. And he could say, long live the king, because he was the barrier. He was the one that not only prepared it, but he tested it so that the king would be safe. Something must have happened in that relationship because now the cupbearer is in the prison. And not only is the cupbearer there, but the baker's there, the one who prepares the bread for the king. So there must have been a breakdown of some kind, and we don't know what it was, but they were both in prison with Joseph. And we see them there. And in prison, both of these men have dreams. One turned out really well. The other one wasn't such a good story, if you remember. And if you don't, Take Genesis 40 home with you and read it. But the cupbearer has a wonderful dream about his emancipation from this prison cell and how it's going to happen. And so he tells Joseph the dream, and Joseph gives the interpretation of the dream, the ability to do it. He gives the glory to God. And then he proceeds to give the cupbearer the good news about this dream. And so within a few short days, the cupbearer's name is called... And the cupbearer is removed out of the prison. And on his way out, Joseph has a few things to say. And let's look at those in verses 14 and 15. Go back to Genesis, if you will. Genesis 39, 14 and 15. I'm sorry, we're in 40. Genesis 40. 14 and 15. And when all goes well with you, Joseph is speaking. He says, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to the Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Put in a good word for me, cupbearer, and get me out of this place. Drop a hint to the right people. What's happening there? Joseph is in the middle of self-sufficiency. He's thinking that the release of him from prison is based upon his effort, upon his self-sufficiency. He thinks it's going to be upon what he says. And so he asks the cupbearer to remember him. And what happens? The cupbearer has a poor memory. And wouldn't you? You're out of prison. You're on your way. Remembering the the dude behind you back in the prison cell? Probably not so much. The cupbearer was reinstated. He was on his way, forgot all about Joseph. So what happens? Two more years. Two more years in the prison cell. God was saying to Joseph there, when you are delivered, it's going to be me that does it. When you are delivered, when the perseverance test is over, when your character has been fully developed, it's not going to be you trying to work your way out of this. It's going to be me coming to deliver you. And we know the story. He does it because he gives Pharaoh a dream, and Pharaoh comes to find Joseph because of his reputation. So, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And then we finish by seeing that character 
produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Rather, hope brings appointments. Rather, hope brings appointments. Disappointment is a missed appointment. And here we see Paul says that hope brings appointments, or hope does not disappoint. Hope is that God's hand and his purpose and his process and his presence is upon you in the midst of this trial. He did it for Joseph. Joseph saw in the middle of his prison experience appointments. Now, Joseph could have sat in the corner of that prison and just had a self-pity party for his whole time. Didn't do anything to get here. Not my fault. I mean, my goodness. This is what you get for being right. This is what you get for doing what's right. He could have sat in that prison and just had a pity party, pity party, pity party. But yet, we see indicators there in chapter 40 that he had eyes for the others in the prison. He had appointments while he was there. He had appointments with the baker. He had appointments with the cupbearer. He attended to them, the scripture says. It says also that he saw that they were troubled. Joseph was out of himself. He was out of his own pity party, and he was looking into the eyes of others, and he saw appointments in the middle of his test. It wasn't all about him. He began to see others. He wasn't bitter in his trial. He was better in his trial. In fact, these appointments taken by Joseph set him up for his release. How in the world did Pharaoh know that Joseph was a dream teller? His reputation probably came right out of the prison through Potiphar and on to the Pharaoh. So that when the Pharaoh had the dream, who do we call for? Joseph. He's the dream guy. Let's find him. He'll have an answer. That happened because Joseph was able to get out of himself and minister to and attend to the needs of the others. In conclusion this morning, trials and detours may be a part of your life right now. And they may be there because of something unjust or something unfair. No doing of your own. Let me just encourage you today, rather than saying why, ask what? Ask who? Most of you know the name Pastor Saeed Abedini. He's the jailed pastor, American citizen, in the Iranian prison. This year was, or this week was the three-year anniversary of his residency in that prison cell. Why? A murderer? A criminal? No, a Christian. No, a person who spoke his faith. And so today, he's in this prison cell, and this week was also his daughter Rebecca's eighth birthday. And so he wrote her a letter. It'd be interesting to think if you were a father and you were in prison for three years for your faith, what would you say to your eight-year-old daughter whom you haven't seen since her fifth birthday? 
Let me share a couple of his words with you this morning. He says, happy eighth birthday, Rebecca Grace. You are growing so fast and becoming more beautiful every day. I praise God for his faithfulness to me every day as I watch from a distance through the prison walls and see pictures and hear stories of how you are growing, both spiritually and physically. Oh, how I long to see you. I know that you question why you have prayed so many times for my return, and yet I am not home yet. Now there is a big why in your mind you are asking. Why Jesus isn't answering your prayers and the prayers of all the people around the world praying for my release and for me to be home with you and our family. The answer to the why is who. Who is in control? The Lord Jesus Christ is in control. I desire for you to learn important lessons during these trying times, lessons that you carry now and for the rest of your life. The answer to the why is who. The confusion of why has this all happened and why your prayers are not answered yet is resolved with understanding who is in control. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, our God. God is in control of the whole world and everything that is happening in it for his good purpose and his glory and will be worked out for our good, Romans 8.28. Jesus allows me to be kept here for his glory. He is doing something inside each of us and also outside in the world. People die and suffer for their Christian faith all over the world and some may wonder why, but you should know the answer of why. It's who. It's for Jesus. He is worth the price. And he has a plan to be glorified through our lives. Wow. That takes you back today, doesn't it? The answer, my friend, to the why is who. Is who. It was for Joseph. It is for us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the dreams, and Lord, maybe even more, I thank you today for the detours. And Lord, I suspicion that many of us in this room are on such a detour in our life, and I know that you are here with us. And Lord, more importantly than asking why, and we may never ever have that answer to that question, we need to... As Pastor Saeed is saying to us today, we need to say who, and it's you, Lord Jesus. That we might know you deeper, that we might love you more, that we might dedicate our lives to you fuller, that we might experience your presence, that we might stand for you firmer, Lord, in these days. Father, the answer to the why is who? It's your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we cherish him and love him and stand for him and serve him and worship him above all other things, for he is greater than the why. May we love him and serve him with depth, with love, with joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.